Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, afternoon or evening, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this. If you're listening to it in Zoom, it'll be on Sunday morning. If you're listening to it on YouTube, then it could be any time of any day of the week. It's a bit like that at the moment, isn't it? We easily lose track of what day it is, even though perhaps the time of the day. Our normal routine is very much unsettled. The people we see, the things we do, well, that's all on hold. And as this lockdown continues, and there's no evidence that it'll be being lifted soon, and as unfortunately the death rate continues to rise, we are entering a week of very real challenge for our country. And especially we're mindful of those who are in the front line of our health services, and also those who are behind the scenes trying to manage this crisis, we are very mindful of them and in prayer we want to bring them before God, the source of all wisdom and grace and peace. But yet, as I was talking and walking with one of my colleagues this week, a a minister colleague, um, don't worry, I was keeping appropriate distance from him as we walked, but as we walked and as we talked, we both reflected very much the themes of Holy Week, the themes of darkness and despair, the themes of crisis and confusion, the themes of almost chaos, the themes of all that Jesus journeyed through on that first Holy Week, that these themes are very much themes that are relevant to today and indeed to this coming week, indeed these coming weeks. And that should encourage us as Christian people. Our faith is based in a God who in a very real way has entered into a real world, not the picture postcard world of um, white Christmas or indeed of a sanitised Easter but the reality of a world where all these emotions, all these dark things, all these challenges were very much to the surface. I want us to read and hear just something of that Easter story as we read on Palm Sunday, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem from Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And we read, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It could be easily thought, certainly by people who don't have any faith or any connection with the things of faith, that what took place that first Holy Week was a whole series of disasters that Jesus was caught up with the emotion of the crowd. He was carried along by the political machinations of those who were in power, the religious leaders, and ultimately of Pilate himself. That he was a victim of the failure of his disciples. 
that he was innocent, yes, but caught along with powers greater than himself and brought to his untimely death. And that would be one understanding of Holy Week. But it's Holy Week precisely because God's holy things were being revealed during that week, a culmination of all that the prophets had spoken about. Last Sunday, we made reference to the prophet Isaiah, and he particularly in Isaiah 53, in a well-known passage, speaks of the suffering servant, the anointed one of God, who in whom and through whom all the promises of God would find their yes and their amen. Jesus wasn't a victim of powers and events greater than himself. And that's very obvious from the Bible story. And Matthew has already reminded us, and we've looked at this at church, Matthew already has reminded us that Jesus made clear to the disciples that the events that took place that first Holy Week were part of the program of the agenda of Jesus. Just earlier on in chapter 20 of Matthew's Gospel, we read that as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus three times quite clearly made obvious to the disciples that the events that were going to take place were events that were purposed and planned by God. Indeed, later on in Holy Week, in Matthew chapter 26, just before Jesus is anointed at Bethany, we read that Jesus had finished doing his teaching in the temple courts and spoke to the disciples and said, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. It's important for us to be reminded, although I'm sure we already know, that Jesus is in charge. In the events of Holy Week, as he stood before Pilate, before the religious leaders, as he was bruised and battered, as he was mocked and shamed, Jesus was ultimately in charge. His times were in his Father's hands. Indeed, he commends himself into his Father's hands at the very end of his earthly life on that cross because he knew that he had fulfilled all that the Father had planned and purposed. And he did that out of love for the Father and, yes, love for us. Just because someone is relatively quiet, doesn't cause a scene, doesn't shout from the rooftops, doesn't mean that they don't have control over the events. There are many people who would be apt to speak out today. I have to say I listen to the media and to many of the interviewers in the media who very easily from their relatively safe position can criticise, for instance, the government or the health officials and say all sorts of things and cast all sorts of questions about. It's easy to do that. But often those who are in control, who have the right plan, the right purpose, and the right intent, don't speak out publicly because quietly they're getting on with the work. Jesus was getting on with his Father's work. And you can see that even from the story. He tells the disciples to go into the village ahead of them and to find a donkey tied there with her coat, to untie it and bring them to him. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And we read the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Jesus was in charge. And he knew that as the disciples went, they would find this donkey, find this colt, and it would be fulfilled. Why? Well, because, as Matthew tells us, this took place to fulfill what was said through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and in a colt, the foal of a donkey. He 
the Lord Jesus ultimately was the judge and jury over the religious leaders and over Pilate that first Holy Week. It didn't appear like that at the time, but he is and he was. He is the one who's sovereign over the affairs of history. I continually remind you that Jesus is the one who in the book of Revelation holds the scroll of history. Not just the history of our own lives, but the history of our world and the events that take place. He is in charge. And as we journey through this Holy Week with all the ebb and flow of what we hear in the media and all the story of what Jesus went through in Jerusalem, we come with confidence that God is in control, that Jesus is in charge. But it's also good to remind ourselves that Jesus does have a different agenda from what perhaps many would think. We read that the disciples went ahead and did what was instructed of them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. There was a whole series of expectations around Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. The gospel writers hint and historians confirm that the period surrounding Jesus' public ministry was a period of untold turmoil within the Jewish state, under the rule of the Romans, with a puppet king, with authorities that had to look over their shoulder all the time at what Caesar might say or want or do. In that environment, all sorts of different groupings had emerged. There were those who saw that the only hope of Israel was to return to a very strict and orthodox understanding of Judaism, the Pharisees. There were others who thought they needed to embrace with the various philosophies of the Greco-Roman Empire and to jettison some of the great truths and doctrines of the faith and make it more open and more inclusive, the Sadducees. There were the Herodians, those who believed that the best way forward was to keep in with not just Herod, but with the Roman rulers and to be able to maintain their control by basically buying their favour. And there were the Zealots, the revolutionaries, the rebels, the terrorists, the freedom fighters, whatever different perspective people might have, who believed the only way forward was to overthrow not only the puppet rulers of Judea, but of Caesar himself. All of these groups, and many ordinary folks just desperate for something different in their lives, welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Some saw him as a king, who would be like King David, who would overthrow the earthly enemies of the Jewish state and re-establish a rule within Jerusalem in an earthly palace with an earthly power. Others saw him as someone that could be used in the political machinations of the state. Judas Iscariot perhaps thought that, that he was somebody who could be used effectively. And when Judas realized that wasn't the case, he betrayed him. Others perhaps saw Jesus as that prophet, a prophet from Nazareth, a, a new word from God would come that would confirm everything that had gone before, put the clock back, re-establish the way things were in ancient history, a prophet that would call the people backwards into the past. And there were many others, including the disciples, who frankly weren't very sure what was happening, but just wanted to wait and see with hope mixed with fear. And again, we're living in days where all these different views 
are abroad, both in the public domain and perhaps even within our own private hearts and lives. Different tensions, different opinions, different things pulling us this way and that way, like, like sheep without a shepherd, tossed back and forth, wandering here and there. Jesus has his own agenda. His agenda is to come riding on that colt, not as an earthly king, but as the king of kings. Jesus is the one who's calling Israel not back into something locked in the past, but forward to the fulfillment of all the promises given by the prophet. Jesus is the one who will rule and reign, but not in an earthly palace, but within the lives of those who trust him and follow him. Jesus is the one who will not become the captive audience of a particular group, but the one who will rule and reign over all. And as we work through the challenges of these times, not just this week, but in the weeks that lie ahead, we too need to remind ourselves that his ways are not always our ways, and his thoughts are not always our thoughts, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. And as individuals, and indeed as part of the church of Jesus Christ, we need to take time to seek that wisdom that alone comes from God. Remember, probably the Lord's brother himself, James, tells us that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe, and no doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. And he also says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James chapter 1. As I said last Sunday, so I say again, we need to wait upon the Lord. For the church, things may never be the same. We're going to live under lockdown for some time, and even after the immediate restrictions are passed, it's very likely that there will continue to be restrictions in those who are older and those who are vulnerable. Things that we thought were set in stone, the way things used to be done, may well have to be done radically different. No one, including myself, particularly wants that, especially as we get older in life. How vital it is that we seek to have the mind of Christ, that we seek that wisdom that comes from above, that we seek to discern what God is saying through all of this, so that come the day when we can, perhaps, in a new way, in a fresh way, engage more openly and publicly in worship and in service of the King of Kings, we may do so in His way, with his agenda, with his purpose at the heart. Perhaps some of the things we held dear in the past will have had their day. You ways, you times, but we won't be tossed about. Neither need we be filled with fear, for Jesus will fulfill his purposes through his people who wait on him. But lastly, we read on, Jesus entered the temple courts, and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. 
Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This well-known story of Jesus going to the temple and throwing out the money changers, casting over the tables, causing a stir, is a story that's part and parcel of Palm Sunday and of the start of Holy Week. In many ways, little wonder that Jesus caused a stir. He went to the very heart of establishment and religious power, and he threw it into confusion. None of us likes to have that which we think is in order thrown up into the air. It's unsettling. It causes us to be filled with confusion and perhaps fear. But Jesus knew what he was doing. For you see, above everything else, Jesus is worthy of the praise and worship of his people. Interesting enough, Matthew tells us at the very end of the gospel record where the risen Christ appears before the disciple, disciples, yes, still bearing the marks of his passion, but now exalted, he appears before the disciples. And we read that when the disciples saw him on the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, they worshipped him, although some doubted. And what is worship? Well, worship's not just what we sing. Some parts of the church have so emphasized the music side of it that they've lost sight of what worship truly is. We worship God, as Jesus told the women of Samaria, in spirit and in truth. Worship is not only what we sing, but it's in our work, the labor of our hands, in our attitude of mind, in our way we relate to others, in the calmness and confidence of faith, in the humility of service, in the graciousness of our actions. All of that and so much more is part of our worship. Worship involves prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer. And rightly, both individually and corporately, we need to engage in prayer. I know many of you are in your own homes. And this past week, with all the the new technology that Zoom provides, some of us have engaged in corporate prayer. The fellowship groups will in some way or another be restarting. Some already, the men's group and the ladies' group, Refresh, will be gathering on Wednesday afternoon. If you want to find out more about all these things and you don't already participate in one of these groups where prayer is central to them, then please get in contact with me personally. Phone me at the manse. I'm here. I'm not out that often. But as we engage in prayer, both privately and corporately, we are involved in worship because prayer focuses our attention upon God. What's the point of praying unless God is God, unless Jesus is in charge, and Jesus has a program that we need to find out about and then be obedient to? It involves us telling others of what God has done. The children shouted and rejoiced as they saw the wonderful things he did. And while we might not have that much personal communication with people, I'm sure they're all, we all have friends, we all have neighbours, we all have people that we're in contact with day in, day out, even during this period of isolation, where by a word, by a point of testimony, we can speak of the one who has done wonderful things. Certainly, Easter provides that opportunity. And so it's my hope on Good Friday to have the church open between 12 and 3. I'll be present in the church building, but it's my hope to take out of the church and to place on the front of the church, and the stone, and the, 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 the slabs that are outside at the front of the church, and the kind of platform there, the cross that we usually put up in the church. Why don't you, 
on Good Friday, if you're living within the immediate area, go for a walk. Take your time out at that time between 12 and 3 and walk past the church. Come up the steps, spend a few minutes in quiet reflection at the foot of the cross, and then journey on. Wouldn't it be wonderful? What a witness it would be if social distancing had to be brought in as people queued outside of Park Church to go up and to stand for a few minutes privately in prayer before the cross, before Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy of our worship. Twelve Between 12 and 3 on Friday afternoon. Let's make that something to pray about and, if possible, to walk past and participate in. That is a witness to our community. Jesus is in charge, but we need to discern what he's saying. Again, and you'll be fed up me saying this, we need to take time. Knee-jerk reactions aren't always the best way to really discern what God is saying and doing. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. We've got plenty of time to be doing that. But above everything else, as we journey through this Holy Week, let's worship God. Yes, listen. I thank Helen, who's been putting out devotional thoughts and passing on connections to music, and, and other people are doing that. There's plenty on the internet. Listen to songs of praise, either live today or catch up during the week on the television and sing along the hymns. Yes, worship involves singing, but far more than that, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts. That is at the heart of worship. And let's pray that however Easter is celebrated, however we mark Good Friday, that will be an opportunity not just for us, but for many others to meet with the one who entered onto that long journey. That long journey from being welcomed as a hero on Palm Sunday to being crucified, seemingly as a failure on Good Friday only to be raised from the grave, gloriously exalted on Easter Sunday, our coming again Lord, the King of kings, the judge of all, Emmanuel, who is the God who is with us. May God help us to journey with him during this holy week. Let's pray together. God, our Father, you know that not just us here in Uddingston, but your church and so much of this world is entering into this Easter season, Holy Week and Easter Sunday next week in a very different way from the past. Lord, I'm very conscious of that in our own fellowship. Easter has been a big thing for us in the past, special services and, and large attendances at events, and that will not be the case this year. But we thank you that actually in your sovereign will, you perhaps are laying aside so much of the trapping, so much of the outward things, which are not wrong, but can distract, that you're laying aside these things so that in a you and deeper way we might truly worship you and enter into the spirit of this holy season. And so we ask, O oh God our Father, that you will help us to journey with Jesus during this holy week, enable us to read your word, to take time to simply read through the events in any of the Gospels, to take time to pause and to ponder to take time to pray and remember. We do pray for our community, and we do ask that in some way, on Good Friday or in conversations that we might have with people on the phone or by email 
or by text, or even over the garden fence as we're out and about for our walk, that in some way you will help us, like the children that first Palm Sunday, to speak of the one who has done wonderful things. We thank you, O God, that by your Spirit you're already at work within our nation, that there are hearts that are being turned, there are lives that are being opened, that there are those who have got eyes to see and are seeking and searching after the one who alone is the rock of ages. We thank you for that, and we pray in faith that we'll see more of that. We thank you that Scripture Union are going to have SUTV over this holiday period and this, over this Holy Week, and a new way of engaging with families and young people with the story of Jesus, and we pray a blessing upon that. But whoever we are, Lord, and whatever our circumstances, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will help us to know that you're the one who went on that road to Calvary for love's sake, to give your life as a ransom for many. You were in control. You knew what was going to happen. That didn't mean it didn't cost you everything. It cost you all. But you did so out of love for the Father and love for us. And so for that, this Palm Sunday, we give you thanks, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.